This is Soccer City, the weekly program where we place our attention on the passion of soccer and soccer's positive impact on the five boroughs here in New York City. For instance, the appetite for the top-tier professional team of the Bronx, New York City FC. They extended their unbeaten streak to start the 2018 MLS season to seven games. We'll hear from some of those who left an impression on these early season results, including a chat I had with Libyan newcomer Ishmael Tajuri Shradi. Garth Crooks, a black man who played professionally in England in the 70s and 80s, a key figure in breaking racial barriers there. His thoughts on the current state of racism worldwide in soccer and whether he supports a potential England boycott of the Russia 2018 World Cup, that's coming up. We begin this Soccer City with thoughts on the community in our weekly segment, Soccer on the Block. It's 5 a.m. The streets of the South Bronx have become familiar with the song of my feet running all the way to Freeman Street to go to my favorite place, school. My alarm clock has become my mother, waking me up and pushing me out the door. My backpack is my best friend. To it, I entrust my whole life, my soccer cleats, books, pencils, and a flash drive for my videos. This backpack became my pillow and companion while I bounce from house to house. This is the first paragraph of a college essay written by Mafuz Samari, a homeless 17-year-old refugee from the Ivory Coast. I met him at Pier 40 in Manhattan, where he trains with the Downtown United Soccer Club, just three blocks from his school. I learned that early on he was abandoned by his father while witnessing his mother struggle with health issues, poverty, and an abusive husband. He continued in his essay, By the age of 15, I learned what it meant to be an orphan. An orphan is a child who travels to the United States alone in pursuit of an education. It is having to navigate the streets of New York without knowing English, while simultaneously having to cope with his mother's death three months after his arrival to the Big Apple. It is having to sit on the train with an empty stomach, trying to figure out when his next meal will come. This is Mafu's story. He never expected to leave his native country, but the abuse at home left his mother with little choice. It's, it's hard for me to to share this kind of thing, but like, it used to beat my mom, be, be my mom, and she was really so far loud. She she wasn't happy, and I, I I can see I was really young, but I can see. So, are these things that you witnessed? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't easy. Uh, sometimes at 4 a.m. you are uh, waking up, seeing my mom cry. You, and you can't do anything about it. So just like she's the one who care about me, and I can't do anything. She's already there for me. I can't do anything. See someone beating my mom up. And how old are you at the time? I was eight. Eight. And it was hard. I started since I was younger, but like since now, when I I was growing up to eight, I I just realized how oh, my mom was so far along. It wasn't easy. And then like, uh, at this time, my my dad, had, it was. He had another wife. I didn't know that because like we used to live with my with my mom and my dad, and some a woman just came. She has an other kid. That was like that was a shock. It was really painful. Like any kid in this world should live like that, but like, I don't have any choices. Mafu's mother sent him to different cities in Senegal, Mali, and Guinea, and eventually to the United States. He was living on the streets in New York City. I have a lot of friends in the civil war. They get killed, they get shot. A lot of them die. So I feel so lucky. I get here safely. It will, it, it's not easy at all, but like, at least I'm, I'm alive. I, I have an opportunity to go to school. It's not really, I don't have any 
like, I don't have home, I don't have house, I don't have no money, I need have school, I have something I can focus, I have something like that can change my life and that can change other people's life. So, so, so you don't have a home, you say, so how do you get by? How, how do you survive and, and, and where do you stay? Make friends by playing soccer, sometimes uh, after school I have to call them, oh, can I come spend the night? Yes, they say yes, I, and I get to meet some people probably, and they really like me. I just go there. I, I don't go there early. I spend my time at Starbucks. I don't 11 p.m., 10 p.m. or 12 p.m. I can call one of my friends. Can I come do my homework, do the rest of my homework, and then sleep? Mafu studies at Starbucks. He can get the internet there and get his work done. And then he hopes that friends will provide a, a place to sleep. He is up by 4.30 in the morning, the first to arrive at a place that he considers home, where he has found consistent support, a place that has accepted a young man who could not speak the language a year and a half ago, the Broom Street Academy School. For school, I, I get to meet those people, those people who matter to me in my life now. Like, if it wasn't for school, if it wasn't for the school I'm going to, I don't think I don't think I've, I could enter anything right now. Even I'm strong, but like if it wasn't for school, this kind of school, because like my school, we don't have anything. We like 50 percent of the school, the kids are homeless. I need, but like the way they care, uh, the way they care about us, that's really the big thing. It wasn't easy when I got to school. I, I didn't speak any English. I have to work hard. I have to work like three times more harder than other students. And I don't have any computer to do my work. I don't have anything, but like. By the second quarter, I get the highest GPA, and now I was working out for the, for the SAT, and I get a really good score in the SAT. It's all about it's all about the thing you want. It's all about like making yourself better, and that's why the, the school taught me. Despite his positive relationships at school, Mafuz was in a very bad way just 90 days after he arrived in New York City. Back home, his mother had died. The time she she passed away, I used to. I used to be someone like I give up basically I most like I give up. I'm like, oh I, I give up. Like I just remember my mom sent me here for a for a better life. I can't give up. If I give up, those kids back those kids like who have the same experience like me, they they gonna they have, have, have to be the one who have to show show them the way. I have to be the one who have to like do not give them like it's gonna be harder. You don't need to be rich, you don't need to have anything in this life like you can push up like you have, you have to believe in yourself you have to value your life so that's that's why i didn't give up and i want to do more i know it's going to be harder the, this is nothing i know in the future it's going to be harder but like i want i want to still do it so i can give i can give me a better life and the other two because i care a lot the more, one of my things i care a lot about people Mafuz discovered that not everyone has cared about him. In order to survive, he was constantly looking for work. He was steered toward the restaurant industry, but found out that the support and caring that he felt at school was not present in the workplace. Listen closely as he uses the word abuse to describe his experience, plus the racist comments he was forced to tolerate. I was, it wasn't easy. Every, every time I try, someone gonna use me. And then I was like, I can't, I can't, I, I can't do that. I have, I have to. I have to try something else. I have to try something else. It was it was it was a lot of pain. Crying every day. The way people use me, and they know I need a job. They knew, they know I need a job, and they was using me every day. Sometimes they call me. Oh, five in. I'm five in the morning. If you don't come, I will fire you. They know I need money. I have to go to school, but they didn't care. 
they just like usually do your job they they will train me a lot like they they call me monkey especially in arabic they call me monkey the, the only thing i care take my money and just get my education that's the only thing if i get my education i can't fight for the against those people so they, they're not gonna do that in the future to others too i will never forget those, those things but Mahfouz has also had good people to help navigate his life. He met Dominic Castaldo, the director of coaching for the Brooklyn Italians. Dominic gave Mahfouz a, a platform for soccer when he arrived and a lot of rides and advice. They became great friends, but it was too far from Mahfouz's school, so he switched to the downtown United Soccer Club 99s, coached by Kevin McCarthy. Soccer means a lot for me. Because like, even when I, f- I feel so bad, I just, when I get into the field, I can't feel so bad, but like just hear your coach, your coach voice screaming at you. No matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what's your talent, you just have to give everything. That's like that's how life life is. If something like I can't have a bad day when I come here, I'm gonna feel so bad. The only thing the, the coach wanna the coach wanna tell me, fight, fight. Like that's how life is. So like my coach really inspired me. When I hear his voice, sometimes I can't I can do bad things, but when I hear his voice. I have to do something. I have to work for the end. He showed me you have to work for the team, team first. So like sometimes I, I was like selfish. I, I'm telling about I was selfish, but like since I met Kevin, team first. Like so that's why I want to try to do everything that's for the team and that's for him too. I will do everything for this team. I will do everything for him because like basically this this team changed my life a lot. Mafuz is changing other lives in the process. He is captain of the team. And I've never seen Mafuz play, but he gave me an idea about his ability. Are you a good player? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Like, cause now I changed my mind. Before it was about myself. Now it's about, it's about the team. I feel like when I play for the team, I, I'm getting better. That's why I'm, I get a lot of email from coaches. From college coaches, Mafuz, who as of September of 2016 did not speak any English and does not have a home has been accepted to 10 universities, including the honors programs at both Fairfield and St. John's. His college essay concluded, My education is the only thing that has never left me. It followed me from city to city and country to country. It is the only thing that I can truly call my own. College is where my ideas will be born and a place I will finally be able to call home. Because of this, I believe in my passions. I believe in my dreams I believe in the power of education. Mafuz and his coach are still sifting through financial aid possibilities and the hope of an athletic scholarship. For now, the immediate future is still unknown. At the moment, he cannot afford the next step in his education. A positive spirit, a positive life force, and an undying work ethic in times of great adversity. The extraordinary story of Mafuz Samari. England professional Garth Crooks played soccer in an era when a man of color had gained little acceptance in the game. In some cases, no acceptance. Garth scored 129 goals and 375 pro appearances, predominantly with Stoke City and Tottenham Hotspur. He was the first black chairman of the Professional Footballers Association. And recently, I spoke with a man who shares my last name. i got to say to you, Glenn, we, and I'm, I'm delighted to talk to, to somebody who shares the same surname. That's always very helpful. Well, you know, I think some people may think that the reason I have you on today is because we do indeed share our <laughs> but we are not related. Can you make that clear? We are not related. <laughs> 
Yes, you're quite right. I was in England recently, got a chance to see quite a treble, Chelsea Leicester, Liverpool Man City, Manchester United Stoke. But two things occurred during the week that I was there, Garth. First, Cyril Regis, a a player who helped uh, break the racial barrier uh, in English soccer, as we mentioned with you, uh, passed away suddenly at the age of 59. And that same week, the Rooney Rule was implemented in the EPL. Now, there are two different things. One, providing a lot of emotion across the country for a beloved figure, and another perhaps a step towards greater awareness and fairness to minorities in the soccer job market. But let's take each one at a time. The iconic figurehead uh-huh. of the three degrees, Cyril Regis, uh, Laurie Cunningham and Brandon Batson being the other two there. Tell us the, the, the story about those three playing at West Brom and, and what they did to, to help break this racial barrier. Well, the, the, the three degrees, as, as you rightly name them, were three black players who played for West Brom and Jalbian in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. And they were, they had quite an impact. Uh, I just started my career. I was playing at the time in Stoke City. And I was so impressed and encouraged by not just the fact that they were playing first-class football in the English league at the time, the Division One at the time, but I was encouraged by them. I was in, enthused by them. And, and, and although we hadn't met, they were like my mentors. So I would go to West Brom, and I'd travel 45 miles down the road to watch them play. And, of course, later I got to know them, played with Cyril Regis, got to know the boys very well, became great friends over the years. And, of course, all three of those boys made an enormous impact on the British game because... They were such damn good footballers. Nevertheless, as you quietly point out, there was racism amongst a number of spectators around the country at various clubs. But the reason that they were so prolific and so impactful, if you like, if that's the word, was because they were not concerned with the abuse directed to them on the playing field they were more concerned with having an impact in the, on the game, and they did. And that impressed everybody and won a lot of people over. And because Cyril in particular was such a nice man and always addressed these things with a smile on his face, it really did capture the hearts and minds of those people who wanted to drive racism out of the game, and that's why he became an iconic figure. Can you talk about and be as descriptive as you like uh, some of the things that, uh, well, you personally, but those three had to put up with? You you talk about them being such stoic characters and focused on the game and always pleasant, as you referred to Regis. So uh, obviously that takes a certain strength, but what what, what specifically were they dealing with? Well, um, you're going back now a number of years. But, you know, it's very interesting because racism, while it is quite an ugly feature in society, we all, we all recognize it when we see it. And I remember Cyril being quite shocked by the fact that during the season in which he won the Young Player of the Year in English football, the first black player ever to do it, he received in the post from an irate individual a bullet. A bullet 
and a death threat because he was so good, he'd had a marvellous season, and people, certain people, couldn't come to terms with his success. Now, I thought that was quite profound. It wasn't a matter of disliking him because of the colour of his skin. They actually couldn't cope with his success because of the colour of the skin. Now, this was a very profound moment for me, because all I understood as a young boy, that I understood people not liking us because of the colour of the skin, but I never understood that people actually could hate the fact that you were black and successful. So, so that really, for, for me, was a real turning point in my life, because... Up until that point, and point, I'd not really taken racism seriously. But this had t- taken on a completely different situation. And as a consequence, I was not just moved by it, but it, it was something that I needed to address and, uh, and to fight. And uh, Cyril Regis, just a quote from him uh, when he talked about bravery. He said, uh, this is the quote, Bravery is getting off the team bus only to be confronted by far-right National Front protesters who have brought with them a mouthful of phlegm, especially for you. As much as he made every effort to, to focus on the game, obviously there was, uh, there was an impact on him. And then, and then the Rooney Rule, which uh, people in the States uh, recognize from the NFL, yeah. the requirement that head coaches and general managers, when there were vacancies in those positions, at least one minority yeah. candidate would be interviewed. Is that, is that the way it's working now in the EPL? That's absolutely the way it's working, Glenn. Um, you know, we have such an affinity, such a unique um, relationship with the U.S. in so many ways, um, not just as countries who have fought together, who see the same political issues across the world and have the same way of life, um, but there is a shared uh, identity with a section of the Afro-Caribbean community, both in the States and the United Kingdom. Um, both communities have made an extraordinary contribution to the wealth of both nations. Um, and the deal is, the deal has always been that, you know, we come to these countries, we make a contribution, a civilized, um, decent, tax-paying individuals, and we are entitled to a return on those conditions. Um, and we expect both the country and the individuals to fulfill their obligations, and we've done that. Um, so, so we do expect an element of respect. We expect an element of cooperation, and we work hard, and we want to achieve things, and we want to be successful. Um, and, and when we're not, I think we're entitled to say something about it. That's Garth Crooks, at present a BBC commentator. You know, there are some who feel England should boycott the Russia 2018 World Cup due to recent atrocities, which include racism. Garth, he will address that when he returns next week on Soccer City.
Since transferring from FC Kaiserslautern before the 2017 season, Alex Ring has been a fixture in the middle of the park for New York City FC. He's a holding midfielder with the work rate and endurance to provide coverage defensively for both his back line and his midfield mates. He is one of the MLS leaders in tackles and interceptions. And when Ring wins the ball back, he is secure in possession. And it's now been confirmed he can score a goal. His Galazzo from just inside 30 yards out hit the underside of the crossbar to beat Atlanta United goalkeeper Brad Guzan. And that was the equalizer in a 2-2 draw at the raucous Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Sunday night. Although there have been similar opportunities in the past, it was the Finland International's first career goal for his club. Yeah, I mean, I told you guys that always, uh, I was holding on to it for more important games, so that was today now. Yeah, it's a bit of luck, a bit of momentum, and um, I'm happy, of course, for the first goal. It's not... Not the worst one to score. Coming in his 34th game for New York City, he's got four career assists from that deep-lying position in the midfield. Now, Ring's Scandinavian mate, Yu Inga Berget of Norway. He recorded his first goal for NYC on Wednesday night in that 4 to nothing demolition of Real Salt Lake. And Berget set up uh, the club's opening goal in Atlanta when he baited the center back Michael Parkhurst into a penalty. I had a couple of those situations with, uh, with the same defender and uh, the first couple of times he, he went down as well and got a, got a good block on, on one of the shots. And I, I saw that he was going for the same thing and, uh, and I took it back and he, and he hit my foot. I didn't mean to get a penalty, I meant to, to take him off and then go for the shot, but take the penalty and David finished it off. That's David Villa coming off the bench for the second straight game after a three-match injury absence via converting the penalty, later assisting on that spectacular ring goal. A ring himself missed a pair of matches with a knee issue, making his first start since the third week of the season. And he said those two games missed were really hard for him to take. Also for his daughter. Um, of course, it's not easy to watch. I was I watched at home with my daughter the games, and she doesn't quite understand why why dad is throwing the. The, the TV remote when, when the game isn't working. Well, for the most part, things have worked well for New York City atop the overall standings, unbeaten in MLS with five wins and two ties. A key figure in this record start for the franchise has been newcomer Ishmael Tajuri Shradi. The 24-year-old did not bounce around from club to club, but he did leave his family in Libya to join Austria-Vienna with their U-12s, eventually advancing to the first team. We continue now with a young man who shares the team lead with four goals, and we talked to him after a training session recently. Did you have other options when you were a, a little boy? Were you considering other sports at all, or was it all football? No, it was only football. From the from when I was young, my family is also a football family, so it was uh, from young, uh, always uh, football, football, football. Did uh, your father play at all? Yeah, my father played before uh, in my country, Libya. In my, uh, He played also in the left and right wing so he was also uh, a player like me small one so is uh, my, my brother play also my big brother he play also in austria he was also a good player but he made the decision that he, he want uh, want not play football to, to to go to make next and other things 
So yeah, uh, I do that and I, I go for my, live my dream and yeah, this is football and I want, uh, of course, I work hard every day for that. So with your father playing on the wing as well, were there a lot of tutoring sessions about how to play that position? Yeah, I think uh, it was, uh, of course, when I was young, he he, he, he know about football, he, he always watch uh, my games. Uh, so yeah, when I was in Austria, when I was young, he, he go with me, with my brother, with another brother, of course, uh, to a little bit training, to make a little bit uh, some some training. So it was good, I think, for me and uh, for my brothers also. Yeah, he say always to, he training always with me with the head, because he wanted to score with the head. But yeah, it is not so easy when, uh, when you are short, but yeah. What is your favorite part about playing out on the wing? You do have some freedom out there at times. I think yeah, my, my position is uh, how you say is uh, right right wing. I prefer of course uh, better than left or number nine. But if the coach want me in the left, of course I play left also. On the if he want me in the nine, I play also nine. I give when a coach uh, give me the decision, I want play nine. So I give my best for the team. I want help the team uh, is uh, any time where I play. When we watch you play, and we saw it in preseason too. You, you seem to have uh, a real good feel for the game, an understanding of the game. Uh, we have sometimes say a high soccer IQ. I, again, is that based on your background, just being involved in the game for so long? Do you watch a lot of soccer? What what has led to that? How I can, of course, I am I am football crazy. I, I watch every game from another from another leagues. It's normal. I think uh, I watch before when I was Austria. I watch everything in Germany, Bundesliga, Spain, uh, all the leagues. What the top leagues? Also, another another games when I was in Austria was not uh, of course was not so easy to watch the MLS because of the different time. But I watch of course a little bit, and so I think yeah, I I watched uh, so long I can uh, of course uh, to to big players uh, in my in my position what what they do what what he do and yeah so I think it was good that uh, they, that I make the decision and watched uh, about another another leagues another football players another another great uh, leagues of course. Are there any uh, wingers? Uh, more than one couple you know worldwide that you you watch and you learn from in particular uh, those that you respect but more so trying to uh, steal some things from them I, when I say okay I want it was from from the young when I was young my, my favorite player was Rubinho the Brazilian guy he was always my, my favorite player I watched so, so many videos from him uh, what he do with the ball is amazing. He was the the one that I want uh, that I I watched too, so many videos from him because he was from from my, when I was young. Is my favorite player. So you scored ten goals last year for Vienna. So we know you can score goals, but at this point you've taken five shots and scored four times, and you're in that realm of being kind of prolific or like this major goal scorer. That's maybe why some people are like, well, who is this guy? Where did he come from? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, of course. Uh, how, how you say before, I can't score goals. Uh, I was in Austria. I have so many years there, but I was not the, uh, the top scorer. Of course, I was. Uh, I was not. Uh, how I can say, I was not uh, the, that they score every games. I am. I am the, the, the make the uh, maybe maybe they make the play to give the assist to my players. This was my. I think was my more job than score. But of course, every player when he want the play for forward, he wants score. He want give his best for the team. He want give assist. I, I feel here very, very great. The team make me very easy for me from the first day. So I feel that, that uh, we can make uh, some some big uh, years with uh, with this team. So, uh, of course, I am happy that I score now, uh, how you say, five shoot. I don't know about that. I heard that about now. Five shoot, uh, four goals. Of course, this is uh, great. That's a pretty good percentage. 
Yes, of course, it's, it's very, very great, but I want to continue in this hard work. Of course, I want everything give my best, so then I can make next steps with this team, of course, uh, with this team, with this great team, with this uh, great coach. Patrick Vieira is your coach. Uh, what has it been like performing for him and, and learning from him? What, what are some of the things maybe you've even already taken away? It was uh, for me also uh, when I hear about that. That, but uh, of course I know that he is a coach here. But when I hear that interesting from New York City in the, on me, so it was for, for, for me first, of course, Patrick Vieira, David Villa, uh, also another players, great players. Uh, so yeah, we are very happy that we have Patrick here as, uh, as coach because I think he he was also a big big player. You know that all the world know that he's also a coach. I can say that he's also a coach, very, very, uh, very, very good coach because he know about the football, but he know about the players, what they want, what uh, what the day he want. What I think is good for for us that we have Patrick Vera as coach because I think he he will, he will help me to make the next steps uh, and help me uh, when when something is not good. He will he speak he speak with uh, he speak with the players, he speak with me. It's very important for for a player that a coach speak with him and say him what is good, what is not good, what he make can make it better. And so I think we are very happy that we have him here. Ishmael Tajuri Shradi. His father's name is Tajuri, so I learned that the middle name of all Libyan boys is their father's first name. New York City, they'll next play at Portland. You can hear the game live here on the new home for New York City FC soccer. WNYE airtime will be 5.45 p.m. Eastern for the pregame show with Patrick Vieira. That'll do it for this episode of Soccer City. Heard every Tuesday at 1 o'clock on WNYE and also available on the TuneIn app and iTunes. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great day, everybody.